I turn your attention this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We begin reading in verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, reading uh, from verse 12 to verse 18. Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Christ revealed things that were unclear from the Old Testament. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, that referring back to the law of the Old Testament, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul is saying it's the Spirit of God that removes that veil and gives us clarity so that we don't have to look through a glass darkly anymore. I want to speak this morning on this subject, the voice of freedom. The voice of freedom. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of God's Word. It would appear at first glance that Freedom and liberty are the same, but there is a slight difference. Liberty is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as, and I quote, the state of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. While freedom is defined as the power or right to act, speak, or think, as one wants. So freedom is the power or the right, but liberty is the expression or the practice of that right. Let me say that again because it's fundamental to our presentation this morning. Freedom is the power, the authority, the right, but liberty is the practice or the expression of that right. Patrick Henry, speaking on March 23rd, 1775, at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia, is credited with having swung the balance and convincing the Virginia House of Burgesses to pass a resolution delivering the Virginia troops to the Revolutionary War. He says, and I quote, They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary, but when shall we be stronger? Will we be the next week or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution or inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by laying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. The millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force 
which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It's to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. The reason that Patrick Henry contrasted liberty with death... The reason that Patrick Henry contrasted liberty with death is because death is silent. Death is without expression. Death is without emotion. Death is neutral. Death is dormant. But liberty is loud. Liberty is often uncomfortable. Liberty is freedom in action. Paul said where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So you may wonder why when you come to a Spirit-filled church... People stand and clap their hands and sometimes people run the aisles and some people stand up and shout and holler. It may make you uncomfortable, but freedom is loud. Liberty is loud. There is expression, there is noise that is associated with the manifestation of freedom. And so when we gather in our houses of worship... We gather to express that right or that power, that authority that God has given us when He conquered sin. We were set free. And so we have spiritual freedom. But we have spiritual liberty when we exercise our right to worship God. When we exercise our right to say, Thank you, Jesus. You're a good God. When we exercise our right to stand up, uh, whether it's in the workplace or in the schoolhouse or the courthouse, and say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The book of Acts is the historical record of the New Testament church, but it is woven from chapter 1 to chapter 28 with the threads of consistent expression of freedom. The freedom, the power, the right was given to the followers of Jesus when Jesus resurrected and defeated death. They were not sure how to exercise this freedom. They moped back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives after Jesus had ascended and gone into heaven, and they did it more out of obedience than out of exuberance. But the Holy Spirit was given. After they had assembled in that upper room in Jerusalem for just a short period of time, the Holy Spirit was given. So that they would have power to witness or a vehicle to express their newfound freedom. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I'm so thankful we have a vehicle to express. 
the exuberance that we feel, hallelujah, in the Holy Ghost. Oh, I believe that as Christians we ought to never lose our ability to express, hallelujah, how thankful we are for what God has done. It's one thing to know in our minds that God has given us freedom. It's one thing to know in our minds that God's given us that power and that right. But it's another thing to have liberty, hallelujah, to express that freedom. Liberty to exercise that freedom. Liberty to witness. Liberty to shout hallelujah. Liberty to say God is good. Liberty to say I'm so glad God saved me. It was life, but it was more than just life. It was life more abundantly. It was emotion. It was expression. It was energy. It was exuberance. It was alive. Yet it was and is sometimes messy and uncomfortable. This great country has been established and blessed by the principle of free speech. The freedom to speak is a great treasure. It's a freedom that we gain the right or the authority to because of the wars that were waged. But the liberty that we have is the expression of that freedom. It's one that must be guarded and protected. You can chill freedom of speech by just regulating it to death where people won't even challenge it. That's why as Christians we ought to never get comfortable with silence. We should never get spiritual laryngitis. Where we're afraid because God's word is never going to be governed by popular opinion. It's never going to be governed, hallelujah, by anything in this world that would try to restrain. It is all based on the expression of what God has done internally. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a boy or a girl that will go to a public school and wear a shirt that says Jesus loves you. I'm thankful for high school seniors that can gather at their graduation ceremony and give a speech that honors God. I'm thankful for men and women every day that stand for righteousness by being faithful to their spouse and raising their kids in a Bible-believing church and taking them to Sunday school. I'm thankful all over this nation today that people will exercise liberty. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But it is a freedom that must be guarded and protected. It does not guarantee that other voices will not crowd the marketplace of ideas and philosophies. By its very nature, it must not exist to suggest exclusivity. But what it does guarantee is that the sincere soul will always have a place of expression. This ability to proclaim is the bedrock of democracy and it is the breath of a human soul. Why do you think the Holy Ghost comes with the breath of God? Described in Acts chapter 2 as a rushing mighty wind. Why do you think that the Holy Ghost came with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's an expression Of the right that we have to be free from sin. That, my friend, is the voice of freedom. 
Oh, I'm so glad that we don't have to just sit in circles of education and, and circles of pontification and consider the, the rights and consider the power and the authority. I'm thankful that even if you don't get your arms around that, you can still say great is the Lord. You can still exercise it. You've got liberty. Hallelujah. You've got a vehicle of expression. To this end, I believe that there are three things that we do to give expression to this freedom. And by so doing, we guarantee that this freedom is active in our lives. The first one is proclamations. When the Holy Ghost came in the upper room, one of the first things that Peter did was to preach. And he did not preach a politically correct message. He was in Jerusalem. He was in the shadow of the temple. Devout men had gathered from all over for the Feast of Pentecost. And he begins to preach. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. When he preached this message, it was not a message of positive thinking. It was not a message that was eloquent. It was a message that was anointed. It was a proclamation of truth. And he said, this Jesus, whom ye slew and hung on a tree, he was your Messiah. But you crucified him. Oh, I feel my help coming. I'm thankful for the liberty of this pulpit to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been preaching truth from this pulpit for over 50 years and we're not going to stop now. You got to be born again. You got to be saved from your sins. You got to be washed in the blood of Jesus. You got to be buried in his name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It was not on the program, but it was the overflow of the freedom that was being manifested by the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. This preaching, this proclamation made it uncomfortable for the Jewish leadership. But the disciples felt the compulsion of the Spirit to proclaim so that when they were arrested just two chapters later in Acts chapter 4 verse 17 says but that it spread no further among the people let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach In the name of Jesus. It's always been the name of Jesus. We wish you oneness apostolics would just keep quiet and get on the bandwagon and join in with everybody else and become ecumenical. But we cannot but speak and preach and teach the name of Jesus. 
It's the name of Jesus that sets the captive free. It's the name of Jesus that heals our diseased bodies. It's the name of Jesus that breaks the chains of addictions. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I believe there is a mandate on the people of God to proclaim truth. We taught on Wednesday night of this past week about the foundation of freedom and confronted our culture. And Facebook has twice removed that message. But it's going to be preached anyhow. I said it's going to be preached anyhow. It may not be comfortable, but pulpits cannot remain silent. They must be unfettered by popular opinion. They must be unfettered by politics. We've got to get back to having fire in the pulpits of America. This nation was founded on fiery pulpits. It was in a pulpit that Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. It was in a pulpit that Jonathan Edwards challenged the morality of a young nation when he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Morality will not come from entertainment. Morality will not come from education. Morality will not come from politics. Morality must come from the houses of worship in this great nation. The Apostle Paul declared in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so do we speak, proclaim, preach, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God, which tries our hearts. So I rise today on this eve of the 4th of July and declare to you that silence is not an option. We as the children of God don't have an option on some things. And one is that we cannot remain silent in the face of wholesale iniquity. It is in our DNA to proclaim. We were created to declare. And we were born again to declare truth. But truth must be meshed with a truth teller. Righteousness must be married with a proclaimer. We who have experienced the holy hand of God's redemptive blood have not the luxury of silence. We have not the option to enjoy the company of neutrality. We're not bought by His blood, sanctified by His Spirit and washed in His name to remain a silent partner. Some people get saved and then they become spiritual Switzerland. (laughs) If you're from that country, forgive me. I know they make nice watches and great little knives. But they had cornered the market on neutrality. All over Europe committing atrocities, the Swiss sat at home and kept loading up their bank accounts. See, see how awkward it gets when you proclaim truth. 
<laughs> While the concentration camps were cooking thousands of pounds of flesh and bone every day, Switzerland was counting greenbacks. While the Allied troops were giving their blood by storming the beaches of Normandy, these neutral countries said, we don't want to get involved. The equivalent of that today is when churches and parents are pleading and intercession children to from sin. While the saints of God are heavily involved in spiritual warfare, there are those Swiss Christians that say we should be more tolerant. We should let our kids find their own way. We should hold our peace and not be so judgmental. I say today, silence is not an option. Are we supposed to remain silent when we see that you're on the wrong path? Are we supposed to remain silent when we see you're headed towards certain destruction? You may not be there yet, but you may just be a sympathizer with the wicked. But we have not the option of silence. We were saved to proclaim. Black is black, white is white, hell is hot, and sin ain't right. Somebody's got to get a backbone. Somebody's got to get a warrior spirit. Somebody's got to stand up and say, not on my watch, not in my house. We need some spiritual George Pattons. We need some spiritual Winston Churchills. That will proclaim that defeat is not an option. And we will never ever stop fighting. We need some spiritual Douglas MacArthur's that will stand in the face of adversity with water up to their knees declare, I shall return. This is not over yet. Just because the enemy's knocked you down, uh, just because your family is struggling right now, somebody's got to stand in the house of God and declare, devil, it's not over yet. I'm going to return to a prayer room. I'm going to return to an altar. We will not give up on those that are lost. We will keep praying. We will keep fighting. We will keep believing. Jesus Jesus I feel like just taking 30 seconds and just declaring Jesus Jesus Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess. Jesus.
Jesus. Jesus. The second way that we express our freedom is through our petitions. Our petitions. The upper room did not see an outpouring of the Spirit of God until they had prayed. Acts 4 and verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. In Acts chapter 12, it was their prayers, their petition, that opened the prison bars and brought Peter out. It was this freedom to come boldly into the courts of heaven and to make our petitions known that gives us the liberty through prayer to make our case. Started in the book of Acts and it has not stopped. You and I have this freedom. We have this authority. And the devil can't change that. So he wants to attack your liberty, your expression. He wants to convince you that prayer doesn't work anymore. He wants to convince you that you shouldn't pray anymore. You shouldn't make your petitions known anymore. God knows what you're dealing with. You're wasting your time. You keep going to God over and over and over again with your prayers. Well, guess what? You need to keep on going. You need to exercise the liberty of prayer. I'm going to make my petitions known. i got a right to go right to the throne room of grace and to find help in a time of need. I've got that freedom, but I'm going to exercise my liberty and I'm going to keep on believing. Frank, I don't know if God's going to heal you of cancer or not, but I'm going to keep praying for you as long as I've got breath. I can exercise my liberty. I don't know if God's going to save your unsaved children, but guess what? We can keep on praying. We can keep on believing. We can keep on exercising our liberty. In our text, Paul is telling the Corinthians, don't get caught looking backward like the Jews did. Look forward, look ahead, look up. This hope that we have is the ability to have clarity of vision. We're not looking through the veil of the Old Testament. That veil was divided at Calvary. The Bible says it ripped in half. That veil was open. We now have the freedom to come boldly into the throne room of grace and to make our petitions known. So we're looking ahead through the glory of a resurrected Christ. Because even if death does take this body, it's not the final chapter. Hallelujah. I'm going to keep on exercising my right to believe that the trump is going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You ever wondered why the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air? Why did the dead get to go first? You know why? Because their freedom is fundamental. Their freedom is based on a God that manifested himself in the flesh and died and was resurrected again and became the first fruits. And so because of that, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain. Oh yeah, we've got the liberty to express our worship. But those that are in the ground that went to a grave, still believing, still worshiping, still calling on the name of Jesus, they exercise their right and they've got the power and the authority to be the first fruits.
then we which are alive and remain. You're lucky enough to be alive when the rapture takes place. You're going to be piggybacking. Off of everybody that went to their grave believing. Because we're looking ahead to the glory of a resurrected Christ. you got to let your petitions be made known. That's why the Bible tells us about that blind man, Bartimaeus. He didn't have the comfort of another chance. It was now or never. The ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus requesting that he come and pray for his daughter that was sick unto death. And Jesus made his way there. Other people with needs came and even the lady with the issue of blood interrupted his trip to the ruler's house. And soon Luke 8 says that a servant from the house came and said, your daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Don't bother him anymore. Jesus interrupted that report and said, fear not, only believe. She shall be made whole. Don't buy into the lie from hell that says you ought not to trouble the master. He wants you to trouble him with your petitions. He wants you to make known unto him your petitions. You don't have to remain silent and you don't have to suffer in silence. You can make your petitions known unto Him. In other words, don't let anybody or any circumstance talk you out of making your petition known unto God. Raise your voice to Him. Bring your petitions to Him. To whom else can we go? The Bible says, He has the words of eternal life. Who else has the words of life? Other than Jesus Christ. This man that I referred to in the New Testament received his only daughter back. Back to him. Back in full strength and health. Why? Because he made his petition known. Barnabas received his sight because he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What did Barnabas do after he was healed? The Bible says that he followed Jesus and worshipped. And that's the third way that we exercise through the liberty that God has given us in the spirit, our right to freedom, praise, <laughs> proclamations, petitions, and praise. Praise is the expression of our freedom in the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus said, if these do not praise me, the very rocks will cry out. Because they got a right to worship God. We don't have a choice. Apostolics, Pentecostals, East Wind, guests, friends, Romans, countrymen, visitors from Switzerland. We don't have a choice this morning. We've got to praise Him. decide based on how we feel. We don't decide based on how many struggles that we've had this week. I don't have the luxury to sit on my hands and to have a pity party. I don't have the luxury of watching others worship and I remain silent when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, that's why the Bible said, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord, praise him in the morning, praise him in the evening, praise him on Sunday, praise him in a holiday, let everything, 
God has been so good. In a letter to his wife, Abigail, John Adams wrote that he thought our nation's birthday celebration should be on the 4th of July. Goes to show you, if you, you take it to your wife, it'll get done. <laughs> he mentioned celebrations that would illuminate the sky and sounds that would proclaim the thunder of liberty. And in the same sentence he said, and I quote, a solemn expression of gratitude and devotion to our God. We got the fireworks down. But the fireworks were supposed to be a magnification or loud expression of our national gratitude. It was never intended to be a replacement of our appreciation. But if we're not careful, we will clap our hands and we will turn up the music. But our voices will remain silent. Can I tell you that when you come into the house of God, the music, the PA system, the microphones, the video cameras, even the clapping of our hands is nothing more than a magnification of our voices expressing gratitude to a risen Savior. Can I tell you today that nothing is ever going to replace you using your voice to worship God. I'm all for technology. I love all this stuff. I'm, I'm trying to look into buying a great big LED wall back here. We've already gotten bids on it. Uh, I think we ought to have all of this. Uh, we try to do everything we can to create an atmosphere. But ladies and gentlemen, all of it is nothing more than the fireworks. And if you got the fireworks without human hearts that are thankful for a God that has given you the freedom, you don't have nothing more but a little miniature Disney World light show. All of it doesn't mean anything. It's got to just be the magnification of a human heart that says, I'm so thankful, God, that you gave me another chance. Is there anybody in this building that's not afraid to use their voice and say, I want to express my right, my freedoms? If you and I watch a ball game of our favorite team, we can make a choice whether or not we will cheer. If you watch the Olympics, you have a choice whether or not to cheer for the USA team. You have that choice. I have that choice. I can watch in silence or I can stand up and cheer. I have that right. But I don't have a choice when I come to church. Because there's a precedent that's given to us through the Word of God. You didn't come to the tabernacle in the Old Testament without a sacrifice. 
If you don't have a sacrifice, you didn't enter into the tabernacle. So if we use that as a template for where we are today in 2023, we're going to come into the house of God. I want us to dress up. I want us to look good. I want us to do our best to honor God with all the peripheral. But can I tell you, more than anything, you better bring a sacrifice of praise. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Those sons of Korah that David said, you're going to be a part of the practice of the services in the temple. You're going to be a part of that praise. Those sons that had that legacy that they were so embarrassed about, they were still there opening up the doors. They were still there welcoming the people. And I'm sure there were people that walked by and said, you know who that is? That's the great-grandson of Korah who rebelled against Moses and the family was all eaten up by an earthquake that opened up and sucked all the families, the cattle, their possessions. And somehow he survived and now he's here in the temple. But you know what? Those sons of Korah, when you read about it through the Psalms, you'll find that they learned how to praise God we got a sacrifice we can bring. It's not about just what's most popular, what makes me feel good, what turns on my goosebump machine. That's not what it's all about. It's about bringing a sacrifice. I'm coming to the house of God. I've had a terrible week, but I'm coming anyhow. And I'm coming with a praise. Come on, you got to have that thought. <laughs> I'm not talking about myself personally. I've had a great week. But I'm talking about in your mind, uh, the enemy will try to convince you. Uh, you might as well stay home. Uh, in fact, you haven't even been that great of a Christian this week. Uh, you better not go down there and pollute that atmosphere. I mean, you're going to split hell wide open. You need to tell the, the devil he's a liar and the father of all liars. The house of God is not for perfect people. It's for people that are bloodied and scarred and marred. But I'm coming with a sacrifice. I'm coming with a voice of thanksgiving. I'm coming with the voice of freedom. Praise and worship is our sacrifice. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We were created to bless His name. It may offend you this morning that we worship with passion, but you need to get over it or get with it. (laughs) Because we don't have an option. I am mandated to be a worshiper. It is the exercise of our freedom in the Spirit. It is the expression of our freedom. It is the voice of our freedom. This is why the Holy Ghost is poured out when people worship God. This is why the crowd thought they were drunk in the upper room, even though it was only 9 o'clock in the morning. You know why they thought they were drunk? I told you it was messy sometimes. They thought they were drunk because 
They were worshiping God with emotion, with expression, with exuberance, with an I don't care attitude. When people get together and worship God, chains are broken. Bodies are healed. Prisons are open. And I feel today on this July 2nd, 2023, I feel a little bit like Patrick Henry. We're already in a war, ladies and gentlemen. And it's not going to get any better. We're in a cultural war. But as for me and my house, we're going to exercise the right we're going to use our voices today we're going to make our petitions known to God come on is there anybody in this house today maybe from where you're standing or if you want to come to this altar I say we turn this whole house into a house of praise today you ought to set your voice like a trumpet You ought to declare with all your might and all of your energy that He is a mighty good God, that my God can do anything.